Okay, welcome to Free Association. It's Monday morning. It's 20 minutes past eight. And I want to play a, a conversation between Hedley Reese, Rainer Fulmick, and Karen Kingston that I've just found on BitChute, which I, which I think is fascinating is getting into the nitty-gritty of the pharmaceutical industry and how contracts are constructed and how the language shifts so Karen, Karen Kingston and Hedley Reese have both got good solid experience they're both industry consultants they're experts basically I don't I don't have any experience with this so I'm relying on experts for the moment and uh, they're constructing a case. They're constructing a case based on supply chain issues and lack of research, lack of research, and lack of compliance with contracts. So it's a legal. They're constructing a legal case against Albert Baller and Pfizer and BioNTech and Anthony Fauci and all these people. So the first hour is a block, that's 55 minutes I've got in a block and then I'll jump in for five minutes and then there's another block of about 40 minutes that's, that's mainly Karen Kingston. But the first part is Hedley Reese and Karen Kingston. Uh, it's, a, it's a good conversation because it's, it's people who know what they're talking about. So have a listen and enjoy. And... Uh, just as Karen Kingston starts in the second part, she talks about how the premeditation happens at BioNTech. So that's worth listening to. That's about 55 minutes in. Good day, good afternoon, friends. Um, we have today a very, very special lineup. Uh, we have Hedley Reese from the UK and Karen Kingston. Everyone wants to talk to these guys, but they're with us today. And we want to find out uh, about the so-called vaccinations. Uh, Hedley will tell us what is what he thinks happened with the so-called vaccines. Um, he has a history of being a, well, I don't know, maybe a pharma critic, I guess you could call him. Um, he, let me check out what I found, learn how bad things really are for big pharma. It's on the edge of failure, help tip it over. That's one of the things that he has uh, published. Um, and Karen, of course, everyone knows Karen, she is the one who is who has been a researcher for a long time. We've done quite a few interviews with her and uh, she will be able to tell us about the connections of 
in this particular instance of uh, the pharmaceutical industry with the DOD? Who was really in charge? These are the things we're going to be talking about. Um, well, Headley, please introduce yourself. I'll give us a quick introduction and then uh, Karen, and then we'll go right into the gist of the matter. Okay, well, thanks, uh, Ryan. They call me a 40-year veteran of the industry, which I don't like to admit to, but um, I run a consultancy and have been since 2015 called PharmaFlow, and I specialize in building strategic supply chains across preclinical, clinical, and full-scale commercial supply chains. Uh, biopharmaceuticals are particularly challenging because they are very temperature-sensitive, and all the stages from there being uh, uh, living things, the cell lines, the, 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 the manufacturing processes, the stages are very complex. And I was absolutely astounded when suddenly uh, the world managed to uh, develop these complex experimental therapies in nine months when it takes roughly 11 and a half years just to make a, a fairly simple small molecule product. So, uh, and I'm trying to sort of engage with as many people as I can to share my experience. I'm so glad Karen is on this call as well with her experience. And, uh, you know, I'm pleased to join the conversation. Karen, what's your background? A lot of people think that you once worked for Pfizer, but that's a <laughs> long time ago, right? That was a long time ago. Yeah, actually, they hired me before I graduated from college. It was an exception to the rule. Um, I used to volunteer in hospitals and AIDS clinics, and I'd sit in the back reading the product monographs, and the pharmacist would be like, nobody reads those. I'm like, I find this fascinating. So um, I was hired at, right out of college. And then I went to the marketing side. I worked for a company called Klein Davis Mann. I actually worked for the man in the industry who built up Omnicom, uh, Edward Wise. Um, and in 2000, 2000, 2001, I moved out to California, Allergan hired me, and then I started my own consulting company. 2007, I started a full service agency, and my clients were Pfizer, Bio, uh, not Biotech, Pfizer, Medtronic, Johnson & Johnson, um, Allergan, and Thermo Fisher Scientific. So I started off in pharma, went to, and then a lot of startups that people haven't heard of in medical devices um, that have, have actually done very well. Um, I also worked in the femtosecond laser market, so I went from pharma to med device to biotech, uh, then working for Thermo Fisher Scientific, and um, and I would attend a lot of the conferences. I, I was aware of, um, I've been interested in studying uh, CAR-T, chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapy since about, well, I guess 2015 or so. Um, and I'm an analyst, so I'm a, I'm a med legal advisor and an analyst. So my, my job for many clients, they call me the cleaner as well. So if they're in trouble, or they want to get a competitor in trouble, um, I bring together um, pieces of evidence that would stand up in a court of law uh, to get a company back on track or to put a, a, another company on, on notice. And, and those pieces of evidence, essentially, it's, it's always the phase three data that's submitted. In, in this case with Pfizer, it's a phase two, three data. All the data that I'm gonna show you from those, from those trials can stand up in a court of law. So whether you show them to your local government officials, law enforcement or international officials, these can stand up in a court of law. They have been historically. It is the phase two, three data that you bring into a court of law. You also always bring contracts into a court of law. Um, opinions don't really matter that much if you're in a legitimate, not a kangaroo court. What matters is those documents. Um, uh, and, and then I would bring in um, examples of uh, false misleading advertising, you know, if we want to put someone on notice. 
Um, and uh, I'm, again, I, I don't look at just one piece of data. I looked at several pieces of data and I also look at adjacent markets and competitive markets and bring that all together. And that's basically what I do. That's, um, I really, over the years, over the, I don't know how many times we've done interviews together, I came to the conclusion that you have this uh, uncanny ability to digest truckloads of information in no time. And, uh, and they then- They call me a hummingbird on speed. <laughs> that, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's fitting. Um, okay, well, let's go right into the uh, heart of the matter. Let's start with Headley. Um, what, uh, two other questions. Why are you doing this, Headley and, and Karen? I know a lot of people keep asking these questions. When I am asked this question, I can only say, I don't know. I'm doing it because I think I have to do it, and there's no other way, because we have to stop these monsters. That is my view. And um, if I could go back to law and, and try and make truckloads of money, I'm not interested in that anymore. I'm interested in stopping this. What about you? Yeah, I, um, I've been calling out Big Pharma for, <clears throat> well, I wrote supply chain management in the drug industry for Wiley in 2011. And in the final chapter, I explained how disconnected the industry had become because it had outsourced every physical activity to focus mm -hmm. on patents and sales and marketing. So the piece in the middle, the really complicated piece, the piece that needs skills of regulations, of toxicology, drug metabolism, pharmacokinetics, all these skills are in the hands of third parties who are paid on a fee-for-service basis. So what started to happen, of course, is that when you can't make your products, you can't get products to market. And the whole pharma industry is on the verge of collapse. We, hit, we know about the valley of death, which is the number of clinical trials that fail and preclinical trials. That became the pattern cliff where pharma wasn't getting drugs to market. Uh, with the pattern cliff, they started to look at rare diseases, often indications, uh, all things cancer. And they set up health economics and outcome research groups to try and justify $400,000 for a drug. Uh, well, the CAR-T therapies that Karen uh, mentioned, the first to market was, was Kimria, Novartis Kimria, $475,000 for one treatment. So the healthcare system can't afford that, obviously. And that's a gene therapy. And I would say the side effects are very simple, similar to the, 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 the vaccines that, that we have today. So. And I think this has been last chance saloon for Big Pharma. Um, gene therapy is a, a, a wonderful idea, but they can't make it to work because you cannot manufacture a complex biologic with the cold chain associations, particularly not frozen vaccines, frozen down to minus 70. Um, we know what, what absolutely was illegal was shipping vaccines, I call them vaccines, but you know what I mean, injections, yeah. Yeah. from the, the manufacturing plant in trays of 195 vial vaccines frozen down to hundreds, uh, minus 70 degrees C and shipping those with third-party contractors, not the normal wholesale distributors that handle these who have got the training and the proper skills because they couldn't handle minus 70 or 